0: I'm going to continue in where Jeremy and Jamie just continue to unpack that word um, from Mohammed the coup to us as a community. Um, remember, Mohammed, he spoke to us, I can't remember, he was here about two, three months ago. He spoke to us about God is calling us to be registered as those living under a kingly culture. He talked about God giving us um, back revelation that this was lacking. He talked about generosity, and he also talked about the righteous rule coming back to us. And I think Jeremy and Jamie, I missed that Sunday, but he was—they were talking to us about kingly culture and what it means. I just want to continue on kingly culture a bit and just kind of unpack what I think that means for us. All right. Just before we dive into that, if we remember what prefaced that word, so Muhammad said, "We're living in a season of change, and God is intended to change our DNA." All right? um, And I think we need to take that personally for us as a community. Can you look to the person next to you and say, God is desiring us to change? All right? Also, look to that person and say, I intend to change. (laughs) I intend to change. I intend to be changed, all right? So we don't want the word of God to come to us and just to be passive and in a time to come not be able to demonstrate the fruit of that which God declared to us, all right? Remember the story with the talents. To the one who was given five, to the one who was given two, and to the one who was given one. God expects an increase, all right? Um, So what we'll cover today, um, just explain a bit. Let's delve into what I think kingly and culture means a bit. We would talk a bit about all having access, focus a bit on obedience and relationship, talk about revelation, that come in true relationship, and obedience and relationships um, being practiced and seen in the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to get to Matthew 6 in the end, but we'll start in Genesis 2-3, we'll focus on Genesis 18 and twenty-two. Let's look at how Adam interacted with God. Then we're going to leapfrog down into First Corinthians and come back to Matthew six. So, um, when Jeremy and Jamie shared, they linked dominion to be the posture um, or the hard position of, of that what is kingly. All right. So Jeremy he looked at Moses and he talked about. Um, existed in Pharaoh's house, and he talked about dominion. That's who God has called us to be. All right. Interestingly, when I was just listening, even the audio cast and reflecting on that, it was quite interesting that um, Moses. Just on my this is my reflection. I think Moses was a slave when he was actually in Pharaoh's house, and he really became a king when he left Pharaoh's house, and. I I linked Pharaoh's house to be the flesh, living out of the flesh, living out of the abundance of natural things, positioning that isn't born out of a connection to the one who has called and destined you to your purpose. Yeah, so while he was linked to Pharaoh, he was not linked to purpose, but he abounded in natural things. But as he left Pharaoh's house, he came into his true calling. If you look from externally, he didn't look as a prince when he was serving God. He was a shepherd somewhere back in the desert and came back to lead God's people. So um, while we look into these things and these scriptures, I want us to be asking God, God, give us a revelation of what it is you are after because we don't want to perceive it naturally. We don't want to just take this word that Muhammad said that God is desiring us to, to become. And as he said it when he admonished us, it is not dressing it up in something New. He's not putting on makeup. I think he said to us, "All right, we want a change that starts from the heart." So, when I looked at the definition of kingly, and he talked about moving from slavery to adoption and dominion, um, I went back to Adam in the garden. So, if we jump to Genesis two, Jeremy, if you could help us, two fifteen to twenty, and in that scripture. It talked about Adam being placed in the garden. And what I love is verse 19. And he said, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the fields and the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man named each living creature, that was its name. And I think that's a a real beautiful expression of dominion. That where man was in partnership with God and God gave him the ability to stand in the garden and to declare things into the earth based on the level of relationship and connection that he had. But if we read chapter 2 going further along, I think it's verse 23. um, We come to a point where Adam and Eve, this is not bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, you shall be called woman. And it talks about God joining him to his wife. But as we read further on, we see where Eve went and ate of the fruit. And I always used to read this one way that, you know, the man was somewhere away so he could be excused. But it said he was right there, yeah? And he received the divine command long before Eve came into existence. But it said, now they looked at themselves and they saw that they were naked. And to me, that was when he lost dominion. He lost the perspective that God had given him of looking into the world and taking a position of rulership and he became self-focused, looking at himself, consumed with his own nature. Yeah? Um, And when we go into verse, chapter 23, when God visited him, he said, he came looking for man and man could not be found. He said he came, as he normally would do in the afternoon, to converse and to bear communion with man. But Man could not be found. That's Adam he was referring to. And it then went on to say that the, my, Adam's response was, God, I went and hid myself because I was naked. And as I was reflecting on kingly culture, I kind of said, God, help me to see what aspect of me is living below that which you have called me to be. And let me get Katie to probably give an example of this. Can you come out? Eyes open up come up baby. <laughs> so, so I was saying, God, what it is about the communion that you desire me to come into that I'm probably not abiding in that place for reflecting with you. And this is, what, this is how it, it, it came to me. She don't need a mic. She don't need a mic. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's illustration. I sprung this on her. Poor Katie. Yeah. So imagine... Cadian represents God in this context, yeah? If you stand across there, baby, and you're walking towards me, all right? So I am representing Adam in this context, and God is coming to meet with me, but somehow I've become self-focused, cut off, removed from that kingly position. I'm not looking into the garden, tilling it, declaring God's wonder, but I'm saying things like, Whoa. Of all my mother's children, you know, my head is really big. I wonder if anybody observes it. You know? Oh, that woman I helped yesterday with the bed, I scratched the car. I think she's really upset with me. I probably shouldn't have. And all I'm doing, when I remove myself from that relationship, she's coming to me because she loves me. But I'm talking about my big finger, my big lips. <laughs> I'm talking about all the things that I believe have made me imperfect and unworthy of the thing that she desires to bestow upon me. That doesn't produce an ability for me to interact with her and feel accepted. Yeah? And that's often sometimes how we. I think Judy brought something to us, not thought. Judy said something to us about feeling unjustified, not able to enter into God's presence because we are consumed with that selfly nature. Thanks, sweetheart. And I think um, that. That's God. Thanks again. <laughs> and I think that, that, that to, you know, that, that to me represents that separation from that kingly nature, where God placed me for a purpose, but somehow, while I am called to rule in my workplace, or to rule in my community, or to rule in my family, I'm not exercising God's rulership, but I'm more consumed with all the things that make me unworthy because of a self-perception. All right? Um, you know, when we looked at Jesus and how he lived, in, in John 5, 9, he talked about him only doing the things that he hears his father says. In John 12, 40, 12 49 and eight twenty eight, it also said, I only do the things to which I see my father do. And I think that's the place where we need to come to, where we're living out of a place of obedience, of doing God's bidding, and not focus on the things that consume us in the earth, looking inward. Abraham lived from that place. In Genesis 18, 17 to 19, it talks about God said, should I withhold from Abraham what I'm about to do? Because I know he will do all that I've commanded him. And we jump to, to, to Genesis 12, 22, 22, 12, stand corrected. When he was about to kill Isaac, God says, now I know that I can trust him because he... Will do all I command, and I think um, for us, part of being kingly is that ability to live in obedience. So that's the first thing I want to see in our mind. Kingly rulership has a lot to do with living from a place of obedience, not from a place of what is my choice. You know, you know if you go back to Genesis, he said he placed the tree of good and evil, garden, the desire man to partake of that fruit. He gave man a command. He said, "I place you in the garden, till it." Take care of these things and do not eat of that tree, but follow my command. And when he came back and Adam hid himself, he said, why did you not follow my command? So he disobeyed. So disobedience was the first sin that brought about that separation from God. But when we go into culture, so I said, okay, God, you designed me to come into a place of um, obedience that whatever you say that I will do. But how do I live in that place of constant relationship? How do I reflexively operate from a place that my heart produces the will of God in every situation? And I went to look at the the meaning of culture. One definition said behavior shared among men. Another one said an accepted and predicted behavior among individuals. But I love this one. It said the range of human phenomena that cannot be directly attributed to a genetic inheritance. And that just took me back to Mohammed's word. So a human phenomena that cannot be connected to a genetic inheritance. And we all know we're born in sin and shaping in iniquity. That's the nature of our DNA. And what Judy was saying there, you know, we often sometimes succumb to the things that we feel bad about, the last transgression, the last sin. But God is saying, I am designed to rewrite the community of lifeline where we live from a place of empowerment, not from a place where we are reflexively dwelling on our past transgressions. I was talking to someone yesterday, we were just catching up for breakfast, and we were just talking about God's goodness and what's going on for us right now. And I said, you know, somewhere during the conversation, we were saying, how interesting it would be, in a bad way, if I was saying, well, you know what? I got up late on Monday. I missed the bus on Tuesday or I said something bad to my colleague. I had a quarrel with my daughter on Thursday. If I just recount the things that happened bad in the week on Saturday morning when I'm having breakfast, that is not an empowering conversation, is it? And often, we find ourselves dwelling in a place where our culture have become one where we are only mindful of the times that we fall short of God's grace. But God said, I've called you to meditate on something different. Yeah? So I think part of our new culture, our new DNA that God is seeking to inscribe on our hearts is us coming to a place where we live out of the abundance of those things that God has declared over us. Do I have any agreement? Yeah? We're not living out of a place where our transgression or our sin... We are justified, yeah, by the cross. But more importantly, the things that we resonate when we meet up for a coffee, when we meet each other in the work, when we share a phone call, what is the thing that we remind each other about? Is it our sin? Is it our transgression? Or is it the things that God has declared over our life? All right? So, kingly culture, obedience on one side, relationship that is born out of a connection and an exalting God and talking about the things that he has done over our life. Um, and I was looking at people, I said, look, let me look, let's, as I was preparing for this, I said, God, kind of bring back to memory some of the people who, who were not part of the beloved, who had no right to think this way, yeah? So, if we're saying that sometimes we commit a transgression this morning or yesterday, last month, or when we were a teenager and it makes us feel unworthy, I said, let me look in the scripture and see people who had no reason to be adopted. And the one that jumped out to me first was Rahab. We all know about Rahab? What was Rahab? Who was Rahab? Prostitute or harlot. So in Hebrews eleven thirty-one, it talks to us about Rahab's adoption, and she being named among the heroes of the faith. But if you go back before that, there was a command to Joshua to fulfill all that God has commanded when he crossed the Jordan. And who was he to destroy? Everyone, all theites. When they went to Jericho, there was an instruction to destroy everything. But when we go to Joshua six twenty-five, it talks about Joshua commanding, except Rahab, the one who had brought the spies into her house and give her a safe dwelling, And I just, just like, God, that is so much a type of the Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. I don't know if there are any Jews here, but I'm a Gentile. Those who came into the adoption of the beloved, not because of a right, but because of the love of the Father. Yeah? And often we throw back in God's face when he has adopted us into his beloved. We remind him, hey, I'm a Gentile. Hey, this is my sin. Hey, this is my nature. Hey, I'm from Jericho. And that prevents us from stepping into the fullness of the kingly culture. Another example. Who remember the centurion in Matthew 8? That guy who understood authority came to God to seek on behalf of his servant. But that scripture finishing in Matthew 8, 5, 13. He talked about him now having access because of his faith. Yeah? So... We see God giving someone who was not a Jew, who was part of the Roman Empire, but giving her a level of access into a dominion and ability to rule simply because he understood something in terms of the, the rulership and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And if we go to this one that I often have trouble with, Matthew 15, 21 to 28. That's the one with the lady begging at the Lord's table, begging for, I think she had a demon-possessed daughter or something, and I heard Chris Gower explain this about a month or two ago. Um, he's a guy from Bethel Ministries. They had a conference in Kent, and he was saying, back in those days, you've got to understand, Christ didn't die as yet, and that Canaanite woman, she would have been in the category that I'm, that I used to stand in, a <laughs> Gentile, yeah? And, Christ was sent in order for bringing the Jews into their place of of, of belonging. And she came to him calling him Lord, son of David. But that term was exclusively used only by the Jews. It was used by those who were in relationship. Yeah? So, Jesus Christ was out of the lineage of David. He was sent to bring the Israelites into their true inheritance. And the acknowledgement of Jesus Christ in the context of the position he had in the Jewish lineage allowed the Jews to call him son of David. So if Nathan comes up to me and calls me daddy, it will seem strange. It's like, what do you want? What do you want to? Yeah, it, 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 it just, if Tater does that or Chelsea does that, it evokes something inside of me. But if Nathan used that term, it's unfamiliar. It makes a gong in my head. Yeah. So the lady came to, to Jesus and said, son of David have mercy on me, my daughter. But then all he did is declare the word to her, you know. Talked about you can't cast your pearl before swines and and, and he was sent to redeem um, redeem the children of Israel. But then he went on and the lady declared something concerning even the scraps I will accept from the table. And she, by faith, understood that she could appropriate and become, and, and his true calling was to bring not just the Jews, but all into a position of adoption. And it said Jesus was marveled by her fate. He was marveled by her insight. He was marveled by that thing that she declared. And he said he, re- he granted her request, and her daughter was healed. And it went on to talk about all the other miracles. So Here we have Jesus Christ being, I think, quite stern. I never felt that scripture was quite palatable to me. It sounded a bit aloof and elitist when when I always read it. But um, here we have the Canaanite woman. We have the centurion. We have Rahab the harlot. And we have us as Gentiles who have come into the beloved of God simply by the adoption. And I'm focusing on this because I don't want us to think this kingly culture is just a birthright, and we wield it with a level of arrogance. It is appropriated, as I said earlier, from obedience and relationship, yeah? So it's given to us for a purpose. It is not given to us for a level of self-indulgence, yeah? The scripture goes on to talk, um, I can't remember where it is, I think it's somewhere in Romans. It talks about those unfruitful branches that is connected to the olive tree. And he said those that are unfruitful, he cuts it off. But he says, we are grafted into that olive tree. But it went on to say, if he did to the unfruitful branches, that's the Jews, who did not produce food, how much more so he will do to us, yeah? So, we are grafted in to produce something. We are given a kingly culture to represent something in the earth. It is not, in my case, just to have a lovely relationship with Kadian, to have two lovely girls for them to grow, we have a nice household, and I have nice relationships with my neighbors and you here in Lifeline Community. God is not invested in me just getting old. Yeah. No response. I think some of you are probably thinking God is not a pension plan. Yeah, it's not, it's not a welfare plan. God is invested inside of us because He's desiring something. Can we say fruitfulness? Fruitfulness. All right, so this change in DNA, God is not just upgrading us. You know, you go in a hotel rooms and God moves you from, you know, the, the person at the desk upgrades your suite. This is not what God is about. It's about a purpose. We are here for a purpose. All right, so I think the question to us now is we need to ask ourselves what is our nature? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exchange DNA for nature. Yeah, that, that, that internal composite, yeah? So we're planting and we're producing fruit, but what is our nature? Why has he asked us to be connected to him? And some obvious questions. Are we called to be victims or victors? I think we'll all answer we're called to be victors. Are, are we called to be those who are known for strength or weakness? Are we redeemed or broken you're not saying with much confidence at all (laughs) all right but i think we know the answers to that so the question is what is our nature what is the true reality of who we are if someone asks me in the job context or one of you asks me in a conversation how are you going what it is you are expecting me to declare to you when you ask that question Am I going to reflect to you all my inhibitions, my fears? Is that the sum total that defines me? Or am I going to tell you about how triumphant I am in Him? And we all know it's in Him, yeah? Am I going to tell you about taking thoughts captive? Or I tell you about the thoughts that have just crossed my mind? And we have a choice. And often, as believers, we find ourselves. Focusing not on the things of taking dominion, but the things that assail us. And over time, we all know where that leads. Yeah? It leads to having a mindset that we feel we don't live in the power of what it says at the end of Romans 8. So our faith has been overcome by the tribulations and the trials. Yeah? But we are called to be overcomers. Um... Let's talk about a story. Um, Let's give a reflection. Every child he loves, he chastens. Hebrews 12, 6. So we're doing a bunny hop. We're going to come to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 and talk about dominion and kingly culture from that. But um, I remember a time I was about 8. And this could be difficult for some of you who don't believe in in slapping kids. It it ends with me getting a a good hiding from my mom. (laughs) But... This is the context. Um, huh? I think so. <laughs> so um, we, have, we had sports day or whatever they call those things among the church communities in Tobago. And one of the big things of those sport days is, 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 is a March pass. You know, every church put a team together and they have a March pass. So I, mom was teaching these teenagers and these 20-somethings um, they had something called Crusaders. I don't know if they have that in the UK. Crusaders, yeah, they were March Pass. And I was eight or nine and I got this brilliant idea. You see those oil drums in the corner there? I'm sure I could jump from one to the other. So I went and I got on a drum and I was jumping and there were some other young kids around and I was just the bee's knees. I thought I was Superman. And my mom looked across and she said, Hans, stop jumping on those drums. And as you do, you think, okay, that's she don't really mean stop now, stop when you're tired. So I, I continued jumping from one to the other. And she looked across again. She said, Hans, if you fall off those jumps, I'm going to give you a, ha- a licking, they call it. That's a hiding. And I wouldn't take you to the hospital until after. <laughs> what mom will say something like that? I was like, <laughs> I was, she don't need that. And I came to a place where one of the drums was a good distance, and I'm not going to stop now. You know, I got to prove that I alone could jump that. So I went for it, and lo and behold, I fell short. This lip, you see the scar next time you talk to me closely. You see it. (laughs) This lip connected with the oil drum, and this woman, you talk about no godly compassion. She did according as she said, <laughs> she came across and I got a hiding. <laughs> but I thought, well, look, okay, she's upset, but she's not gonna follow through the fullness of it. She went back and she taught the guys March Pass, and I was there crying in the car. We went to the hospital thereafter. I thought, no, <laughs> this woman, no, this is evil. In this country. No, she would, yeah, she would be in serious trouble. But so happens that that experience really brought me into a revelation of my mother's love. And we are very tight. There are no scars. Me and my mom, I don't know if she comes often once a year. We're very close and very connected. And it took me back to God and Adam. And when Adam transgressed, and all the other heroes of the faith that we know about, David and the others, God wasn't slow in terms of chastening those he loved, what he talked about in Hebrews twelve six, And we often rely on the mercy aspect of God and think we have a right to that rather than to live in the abundance of the provision that we have through God's command. And sometimes we need that thing that I got at eight. I can't remember a licking from my mom after that. And it wasn't because of the birth slip. It wasn't because of the hiding, I think. But I, 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 it, even from that age, it just made me think, if she says it, she's going to carry it through. So you know what? <laughs> I know what that feels like. <laughs> and I know what the birth slip feels like. But if she gives me a command, I know what swiftly follows. Often it was mercy thereafter. But that memory had stuck out in my mind. And I talk about that to talk about God is a... You, we might find at times, and even in this season, as we step into the nature of a kingly culture... That the nature of God's dealing with us may change, and I think it's because He loves us and He's bringing us into something bigger and more vast. And when we go into to First Corinthians um, three, three, I never said that say that properly. It talks about I'm reading from the NASB, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men. But as the men of the flesh, as the infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, you are now not yet able, for you are still fleshly, for there is still jealousy and strife among you. And you, are you not fleshly? And you are not working like mere men. For when one says, I am of Paul and another of Apollos, are we not mere men? And it went on to talk about um, all the things that God was desiring to create growth. And I'm focusing on that scripture for this purpose. If God is saying he's bringing us into a kingly culture, if God is saying he's changing our DNA, I want to suggest to us, we don't want to be the ones who exist in the Mosaic covenant, where we transgress the law and God punishes. We want to come into a place where Adam occupied or where Abraham occupied, or Jesus occupied. We want to come into a place where we live in the abundance, walking in the commands of God, living out of the power of obedience. Um, I have caused recently to look at, trampolines is not my thing. But I said, where do trampolines come from? You know, people just bouncing around. Yeah. And I went and I looked at the genesis of trampolines, as you do. And um, this guy Newman in 1930 and his partner who... who um, designed this thing, but it had, it had ancient applications back to the Inuits and stuff, but essentially trampolines were always designed by firemen and, you know, all these things for as a safety precaution. Yeah? It was a safety precaution and net that, you know, people in, in circuses and trapeze and that kind of stuff, they use it as a safety precaution. And that started me thinking, if I went, if I was commissioning the Shard, that's that big building down in London, and I saw the workmen bouncing off their safety harness and stuff like that. It wouldn't fill me with confidence, would it? Yeah? It wasn't designed to be interacted with on a daily basis. It's there just in case. But often, in our walk of faith, we bounce around on the grace that is given to us through the justification of the cross. Yeah? And that's a total stain off in my mind. Something that was there... That we have an advocate with the Father. Per adventure we sin. Not when we sin on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Wednesday evening. It wasn't designed to be something that we interacted with just as a matter of, you know, this is our provision. God called us in this kingly culture to walk in a position of obedience and dominion. And it's either his word is a lie, or he really expects us that we can live there constantly. Yeah? Am I saying that we don't fall short? I certainly do. But is that the dominant expression of my life? I say no. Yeah? The fruit of my life and the fruit of my connection is that if you were to overhear my conversation with Katie and with Jeremy, with Martin, with my kids, it should line up to the Word of God. It should not be reflecting on my birth slip, my big head, my big toe. I'm second and not the first child. I, you know, I failed my, my maths exam when I was in high school by this. It isn't the things that I've fallen short of. It's the things that God has imprinted on me. Those are the things that I need to reflect on. If we don't go to Matthew 6, and time is against us, so I wouldn't read it all, but we'll read the Lord's Prayer, and I just want to unpack a bit about it um, as part of defining what obedience looks like and what relationship looks like in terms of how we interact with God, but also with each other. You have up the Lord's Prayer there. He says, this is then how you should pray. Our Father, who, in he- who art in heaven. I'm reading the wrong translation. I'm reading my- from memory. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we, for- as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I find this is a, a real nice portal for me in terms of how it is I am called to live. The disciples, often we, we, we read the scripture and it said Christ withdrew himself to pray, yeah? And he encouraged them to do that. Withdraw yourself for that communion with the Father. But they, they wanted to understand how he lived from such a supernatural source continually. And this is one of the few moments in time He did it in in, in Matthew 17 as well, John 17. When he kind of exposed, this is the nature of the interaction. Just before this, he said, don't pray like the Gentiles. Yeah, and we covered who the Gentiles are already. The Gentiles are the ones who don't have the benefit of relationship. He said, for they use vain words because they think because of their many words, their prayers will be heard. But this is the simplicity, I'm paraphrasing, of a kingly culture. This is what he's saying to the disciples. Don't use platitudes, quoting this, quoting that, quoting the scriptures as Satan did when he was in the wilderness. I want you to live from a place where this is the simplicity and this is the key that empowers your life. So let's, let's kind of break these down and examine what these phrases mean to us. So the first part of it, you stay, stay on that, Jeremy. He says, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And let me just use recent, recent things. The worship that we had at the start of the meeting. The time of worship that we had last week. For those who had an opportunity to come out this week. Governmental prayer or the Tuesday night prayer. Or what we shared um, on Friday evening. That sense of seeing God lifted up, yeah? I think that is a key to us living in a kingly culture. Where the first thing we bring to God is not, God, my head is hurting me. God, these young men that we know in Sierra Leone, they're quarantined and they can't travel to find food. God, this thing is ailing me and I need to see deliverance. We are not bringing to God a sense of our needs. We are first exalting him and saying, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. From that perspective, we could then pray into our needs. Yeah? It goes on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we step from a place of seeing God. Adam did. He walked with God to and fro in the garden. He was naming the animals, so he stood in a position of function in the garden. Yeah? And he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. After that, we could then step into the daily bread. The things that the Father says he knows and he cares for us in. Yeah? And let joining join up with several scriptures. It talked about, in Isaiah 6.1, it talks about God being high and lifted up. It talks about in 1 John 3, 8 and 1 Peter 2, 9 about our position in the earth being a place for, we, are, we act as portals in the heaven. Portals for what is in the heaven to come to the earth. Yeah? That's part of our kingly purpose. He has predestined us and all things to reveal his glory. That is clearly shown in Ephesians 1. So, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, has a lot to do with how do we position ourselves to first be the praise of God in the earth. And that is part of the kingly nature. It talks about forgiveness as being a gateway. Remember the scriptures of leave your gift off the altar. For whom much was given, much is expected. Talk in Matthew 18, 23 to 35, it talks about where your treasure is, there your hearts will be, and what is the greatest treasure. And it goes on to talk about stewardship, you know, those whom we love, those things that God prunes, in Luke 13, 6 to, six to 9. So I think what I, what I want to underscore is that part of us having a changed DNA and having a changed perspective in how we relate with each other but more importantly how we relate with God is us first being able to see God where he is stand in a place of rulership and and function in allowing God to use our lives as a portal therefore that talks about testimony yes we are asking God for daily provision but we are able to reflect God's goodness not first having our sins forgiven and our transgressions, but how we deal with others. And I was quite challenged by that. I, I, I was saying, God, but I think I have no issue in my heart with anybody. I don't think i I've fallen any offense and, and stuff like that. You know, um, I think I'm quick to confess. You know, I think, God, if your spirit prompts me, I will automatically reflect that which you have revealed to me, and it it took me back. It took me back to a circumstance. I remember some weeks ago. Um, I, I, I wanted to. We were going somewhere, and, and the kids were taking a bit to get to get themselves in order to get out of the house. And it wasn't by stern speaking to them or anything like that. They were getting themselves in order, and um, I found myself. I think my behaviour. I think. I know my behavior. <laughs> was not as God intended. And um, two cars. I got in the car, so they were going to join me. And I left a bit earlier because I wanted to get where I was going on time. But oh, the spirit just wouldn't leave me alone. Yeah? <laughs> as he does. And I found myself, I had to call back home. I had to pull up the car and side of the road and call back home and apologize to Taylor and Chelsea over the phone, and they were so gracious <laughs> they were so gracious to me, but it reminded me i think i was I, I was reminded of that you know, um, something that dawn had said once with, the, with, with John apologizing to the kids, but yeah i wanted to, I think I was going to to swim or something nine o'clock at night in the gym and I wanted to get there to get enough time and they they, they just would not get in their the acting in order but um it it just brought me to the place of reflecting on am I ready to forgive others as others forgive me? Am I willing to put myself in that position that I'm allowing myself to operate under the fullness of that which God has given, yeah? Um, and often, let me leave that, leave that there. You take me down a bunny hole. Um, let's go on to the part of where it talks about, and lead us not into temptation. This is another quandary I have faced we asked Him, God to lead us not into temptation, but when we go to the scripture, it talked about Jesus leading Christ out into the wilderness to tempt him. And I couldn't, there was a disconnect in my head. And I said, God, help me unravel this. And we know the scriptures in Corinthians and others that talks about God tempts no man, but he provides a way of escape. And therefore, it brought me back to, if I am to live an empowered life, do I have an excuse sometimes to fall short and to choo- choose the fruit of my emotions in times when God asks me for an obedience, asks me to obey his word? And I'm going to conclude here. Uh, I'll take you back to a story sometime in January, uh, May 2000 and 2001. No. May 2002, May 2002. May 2002, I'm going to present the story so you sympathize a bit with my situation when I come to the crunch of it. So May 2002, I got married um, the year before, and Katie and myself, we decided to start a family. All excited. I remember we were meeting some friends for dinner um, in Hackney, and when I got there the afternoon... Katie and said Hans I missed my period oh I got so excited I took off from these people living room told no one I was going Poor, she just said Hans I missed I took off I ran across is it London Fields I don't know where I was going I was new to the UK <laughs> I disappeared across London Fields I ran the whole length of Mayor Street I just picked a direction I was looking for a pregnancy test. I was all excited. I need, <laughs> I want evidence for this thing. Anyhow, as it transpires, um, Katie Ann had come to the area the year before. They do a veterinary exam once every year. And they had the foot and mouth crisis the year that she arrived. So they had suspended all the exams. And she just was doing the exam the following May. And... She called me from Bristol one afternoon, and she was going into the last oral. was it probably two weeks of exams, written and oral. And she said, hands are bleeding. And this was some weeks on. And that led to the loss of our first child. But, um, so the May was when we, we lost the baby. So that had happened, and we were quite distraught, as you can imagine. We went to the, host, the local hospital where we were. We saw a pregnant um, nurse or receptionist, told her our situation. She said, sit there. We were there for seven or nine hours. You know, it was just an awful experience, you know, and you felt she should have, of all people, should I be able to identify with us? But we were just in a, we were just in what we not a dark place, but we just felt very distressed by all that was happening. At the same time, there was a call that came from Trinidad, which is the island I'm originally from, Trinidad and Tobago, and it required all the leaders around the world to gather in Trinidad for a meeting. John was at that meeting as well. That was in June um, 2002. Obviously, my wife just lost a baby. We just lost our baby. I wasn't in the mood for jumping on a plane to go nowhere. I was just in a new job in the city um, in consulting. So after I fussed and told all the other guys, the other leadership team that I was leading, one of them should go, but the command came back. No, they wanted me. So I got on the plane, before I got on the plane, begrudgingly, the night before, I was flying for two days. I was flying into the Caribbean on the Friday morning and returning the Sunday afternoon. So I was going for probably just 48 hours. I'd actually be in the island. So I was not pleased about it. Anyhow, the word of God came to me and it said, Hans, I need you to prepare for going there. And I was like, I cannot be bothered. I'm tired. I'm going there on the duress. I'm not only giving myself to packing no bag or spending no time in the scripture reading any word and preparing for going and give something. And he said if they come, what, what they wrote to all leaders, we're going to have an encounter and a time of meeting with God and we want you to, to persevere in the spirit, kind of have something to bring when you come. So, I was really in a state of rebellion, yeah? Murmuring. Anyhow, we were in Beckton living at the time. We packed. I had to pack my bags, um, I didn't do that until probably 2 o'clock in the morning. And then I was ready to leave, and I say, you know what? Katie and just we just lost the baby two weeks ago. I'm going to leave it a bit later to go. But I, I gave myself about five hours to get to the airport. Anyhow, what happened that day? There was a tube strike. But I knew about it the day before, but guess what? The tube don't affect the Bechtun, the DLR line which I was on and I was going to get a taxi or something from the other side so, um, when I got to Tower Gateway. So, I remember the Spirit of God harassed me about 5 o'clock the morning or 6 o'clock. He said, Hans, you need to leave. And I was like, look, my commitment is to this woman. I'm not going to rush. Don't rush me. I don't even want to go in the first place. So, cut a long story short, I eventually left. I got on the DLR when I reached The other side, I got out, I jumped in a taxi, and we took two hours to cross London to get to Paddington. but I didn't mind. The guy said, I can't go on the M25 or the A4, whatever it is, it's chock-a-block, you best get the the London Heatra Express. So while I'm in the taxi, I'm calling, booking the ticket, I got the ticket for the London Heatra Express, all sorted. God didn't know what he was talking about, I'm sorted. When we got somewhere by Old Street, probably an hour in the taxi, the phone ring, bring, bring. Yes, who it is? Hey, Hans. Is this Mr. Beard? Yes. Okay, your checkbook and credit card have been stolen. Somebody just tried to buy 7,000 worth of um, hardware equipment or whatever. So I was like, oh, yeah, I lost that checkbook. Oh, I didn't know where it went, you know. So I'm now distressed. I'm in a taxi. I'm trying to catch a flight in three hours. I just find out somebody was buying in stoke newington seven thousand pounds worth of lumber (laughs) out of my account my wife is distressed i don't want to go so i'm murmuring and saying you know still putting an accusation back to god have you forgotten me not remembering that his voice was there in my ear got to the airport no got to the heat express a train had a broken down across the railway line so i thought I would get there in time. No, I'm, so I'm murmuring, and I'm vexed with God now. Da, 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 da. You're destroying things in my way. and We're having a nice conversation as it happens. <laughs> God called the airline. They said, don't worry, Mr. Baird. He said, what do you have? I said, I'm just going for two days. I have a hand luggage. I don't need to check in. They said, okay, get here 45 minutes before you sort it. Still about an hour 20 to go. So I said, I sort that God out, ain't it? I'm going to get there in time. Got there, 50 minutes to go, the lady says to me, sorry, sir, we've closed the check-in. I said, no, you told me 45 minutes, I need to get on there, I have nothing to go, I could get you, and I said, read out the lady my rights. Long story short, they told me where to go, all (laughs) right? Where did I find myself? I found myself at the back of a phone box, begging God, please don't send me back home, Don't send me back to my community. We paid so much for this flight, a thousand quid. I need to get there. The people are all expecting me. And I remember making a transaction with God in that moment. You know Esau with the birthright? God reminded me, he said, Hans, but I spoke to you this morning. I told you that I wanted you to get ready. And I said, I don't care about that God. Right now, people in Trinidad are waiting on me. My wife think I'm gone. My job, I told them, I have a book two days off. I can't go explain this to all these people. Whatever the price, take it from me. And those were some of the most foolish words I ever uttered from my lip. Yeah. So I I had relationship. I had circumstances in my life. Yeah, they were negative, but I was called to rule and dominion. But I decided to focus, even in the circumstances, not on what God was declaring, but became consumed in the mishaps of life. What then happened is that that led to probably two years of the voice of God not being resident in my life. And it was one of the darkest periods of my life. If you look externally, things still flourish. I got theater, We got theater the other year. I prospered in the job. In fact, when I was in the airport, right after that, God said, all right, go to that desk. And I was flying with one airline. I went to a desk, and they said they couldn't help me. And I was about to turn away to go cry somewhere in the corner and go back home. And then a lady came out. And she said, this, to "This what is going on here? They said, this guy missed his flight. And she said to them, where are you going, sir? I said, I'm flying to the Caribbean. Where are you going for? I have a meeting there, a church meeting of leaders. And then the place, she just looked to the staff and she said, why can't we help this gentleman? I was like, what? And she said, give me that ticket." And she flew me, she put me on a plane in the next hour. She flew me to New York, free of charge, and from New York back to Trinidad, and I got there before the flight, I know, before the meeting started, seven o'clock the next morning, free of charge. And I boasted about that probably for seven, eight years after that experience. But it's only, no, 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 that's not the point, that. It's only recently... About two years ago, God reminded me of that situation. And what I thought was the provision of God. God showed me how I did not walk in obedience. And though he continued to prosper me, he wanted relationship. And that two years where I felt was a dry patch, walking outside of knowing his, his desires for my life. That sense of abandoning of the kingly culture was brought about by that transaction I made before that behind that phone booth in Heathrow. I've visited it once before. Once since then, <laughs> just to remind myself. But um, I say all that to say this. This change in DNA that God has designed for us, God is, and this righteous rule, and this heart of generosity, and this abundance of revelation that we're going to continue to unpack as a community, God is bringing us into a place of real relationship and partnership with him. And it requires us to live in the abundance of that which he declares. And it requires us to live in obedience. And I just use my story there in terms of when I was separated from God and when I walked in ignorance, just to emphasize that sometimes those subtle nudges of doing what God says, as Eve ignored in the garden and Adam did and others would have done from time to time, could cause us to go off peace from what God requires. So I want to encourage us, as I say, guys, Let's embrace this change of DNA. Let's take it as our own. Let's make sure that it imbibes us and there is no space. Um, Somebody said this morning, you know, there are rooms and sometimes we don't allow God into this room. I think Richard, when when he was sharing worship, we probably don't surrender everything. Sometimes those things will cause us to still have a veneer of spirituality, still have a veneer of living in God's providence, but guys, as I said before, God is not interested in a Christian welfare or pension plan. It is not just to prosper us, but it's for us to stand in a position where we could really stand in rulership and declare his rule into the earth. If all we go to God for is the provision of bread, we'd have absolutely missed what is our true inheritance and that kingly nature that He have called us to stand in. Okay? That's it. Thank you.